Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. All right, welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. My name is Patty Scott and I'm the TIPQC Infant QI Specialist and also a neonatal nurse practitioner here in Middle Tennessee. Today I have the privilege to talk with Dr. Helen Nation. Helen is an experienced neonatal nurse practitioner that also practices here in Middle Tennessee. Helen is also an assistant professor at the Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. Welcome Helen. Tell us a little bit more about your background and what your specialties are. Well, first of all, thank you all very much for having me. Um, A little bit about myself. I graduated from Tennessee Tech with my BSN in 2003 um, and had the privilege of going through the nurse residency program at Vanderbilt, um, where I started my dream job in the NICU um, shortly thereafter. Um, But I quickly learned that um, I wanted to do more than just a nursing profession. I wanted to help improve patient care. Um, and so I subsequently went on to get my master's from Vanderbilt University in 2007 um, and then transitioned over to being a neonatal nurse practitioner at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Um, just the years of practice was able to see areas that we could still improve. Um, and so went on to get my DNP at um, Duke University and graduated in 2020, um, which was a stellar year to graduate, by the way. <laughs> um, but Throughout my career, I've worked off and on with the School of Nursing at Vanderbilt, um, but did transition full-time in 2022, um, and I've had the privilege of working alongside Dr. Scott throughout um, many years, as well as being a student of hers. So Mm -hmm. I do greatly appreciate the invitation to come and speak on something I'm very passionate about. There's no need to date me, Helen, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you are definitely an expert to talk to us about this. I recently had the pleasure of hearing you speak at a national neonatal nurse practitioner conference on skin to skin, Mm -hmm. and you are very passionate about this issue. Can you talk to us a little bit about your interest in this? So it kind of goes back to just a day in the NICU. Um, I had gotten called in. Um, It was an area that I thoroughly enjoyed as both a nurse and as a nurse practitioner is being able to put babies in mom's arms for the first time, but it kind of took on a whole new level when I cared for a patient um, who I did know outside of the NICU um, who had twins, and unfortunately, one of them had passed away already. It was a 24-week set of twins. And um, I just happened to be caring for the team that this mom was on. So this mom was in this room. um, It was an open unit at the time. And she was still next to the bed spot where the first twin had already passed away. The second twin had not been moved or relocated out of that spot. Um, And in just having a conversation with her, realized that this baby who was now 32 days old um, had never been put in her arms. Um, When I kind of think about it, I kind of get honestly a little bit emotional because from a medical standpoint, 
this baby did meet criteria for being a very critical infant um, as far as requiring high frequency um, ventilator support, but the baby was on full enteral feeds, um, the, no pick line, no IV access, um, no sepsis, no IVH. There was really no other complications, acute processes that were going on except for his um, evolving chronic lung disease. Um, and so I had the pleasure of being able to put him in her arms for the very first time. And that kind of inspired me to look forward into, well, what are we doing for these babies who are um, at our highest risk within the NICU? And how can we improve both the mother-infant dyad um, and bonding session? And, and are there additional benefits? And so I started diving in through the literature to find that there were a lot of benefits and a lot of safety and efficacy um, surrounding being able to put skin-to-skin -skin care with those extreme vulnerable patients of ours. And I love what you said about um, the bonding piece of it. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about how that mom how how she felt did she say anything at that time she did um in just having a conversation with her she had talked about every day she was pumping on a schedule to make sure that she was doing the thing that she could do because in a world where you're in, in admitted to the NICU you are kind of as a parent a little bit out of control especially when you have a patient as young as 24 weeks and so she was doing as much as she could to help that baby. And the thing that she could do the most was providing breast milk. Um, and she did talk about her struggles with that because it was really hard to keep her milk supply up when she's not feeling like a mother. And those were her words. Um, she did not feel like a mother. And in the situation with the twins, she did not get to hold him until the day that he was withdrawn. Um, and so she was not only experiencing the loss and the grief surrounding one of her children, but was now standing at the bedside every day for hours upon hours. And at 32 days of age, she still didn't totally feel like his mom. And so I think that was really the empowering part. It was an incredibly emotional um, time for me, as well as her being able to watch her, in, in her words, it evolve into being a mom. Um, from someone who also works in the NICU, it's interesting to me how moms and dads bond differently. Um, and touch is such an important part of bonding. And I think what you shared from that mother is evidence of that. And it, it breaks my heart, but I understand it, that the baby that died, she didn't get to hold that baby until care was being withdrawn. But I do understand sometimes these babies are critically ill and we get a little nervous about getting them up, even though it may not be evidence-based that they shouldn't get yeah. up, right? Totally. And the reason this baby had not gotten up is because it actually wasn't from the medical side. There was nothing on the, the provider side that was inhibiting um, the allowance of, of even just holding versus skin to skin. Um, and it, asking the nurse, I was like, Hey, I would love to get this baby in this mom's arms today. It's been, this baby's over a month old. We have two head ultrasounds that have no IVH. We have no IV access. This is actually one of probably the more stable patients to get up into a mom's arms. And she was like, I don't know about it. The baby has a breathing tube. Okay. Well, the literature doesn't support not doing skin to skin just because you have respiratory support. And so, um, 
I promised that nurse and the way that it was agreed upon is that as a practitioner, um, if that tube came out, I'd have to be the one to put it back in. So I was actually at the bedside for the entire process because of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I can understand it and you can too um, from that standpoint because we are taught as nurses to guard the tubes, guard the IV, don't let that come in. And, and a breathing tube is life-sustaining, right? So I can understand it from that standpoint. So I really commend you for going through the education process with that nurse. And, you know, you recently published an article on this topic. So that really gets the information and the education out to all nurses. So I want to back up a little bit. I, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to talk a little bit. Will you talk to um, our audience about the benefits of skin to skin? I'm besides the bonding. Mm -hmm. So we all know those of us that live in the NICU world um, use skin to skin and kangaroo care kind of interchangeably. Um, it's been very well documented through the literature as far as their benefits for both mom and baby. So some of the benefits that have been shown in literature from maternal side is um, reduction of rates of depression, um, as well as psychological stress surrounding just the NICU journey in itself, um, increased um, autonomy, um, as being a parent with infant care, and it has been um, shown to have some improved um, the parent-infant bonding, kind of like what we've already discussed um, within the initial hospitalization, but a lot of those studies have gone on to show that there are correlations to duration and frequency of skin-to-skin -skin, and then additional long-term uh, long benefits that happen well past their initial NICU hospitalization. So we're kind of giving these parents a little bit more of an empowering to being a parent of a fragile infant. Um, whereas the neonatal benefits, these are very well documented in, in term and in really the, kind of the late preterm infant um, as far as just the weight gain, improved thermoregulation, um, breastfeeding success. But when we look at that preterm population, we also look at some of the benefits of increased oxygenation, um, cardiopulmonary stability, as well as improved neurologic developmental outcomes. And so the question that was for us when we started looking at implementation of a, a better skin-to-skin care protocol was how does this translate to those infants that we deemed at the highest risk, which um, for the purposes of, of defining it, we used anything that was less than um, 29 weeks completed um, or a birth weight less than 1500 grams. Um, and so, and we, we picked those parameters mostly because of that's kind of where it delineates in the literature. Um, and then we went on to find that the literature has shown that there's been reductions in mortality associated with that population, um, decreased length of stay, which is that not a fabulous idea to be able to shorten the stay for these babies um, in the NICU, as well as having some reduction in sepsis within their hospitalization. Um, it still confirms the thermoregulation um, stability, but they also have improved um, glucose metabolism and have less hypoglycemia, um, as well as we talked about the, the maternal benefit outside of the NICU, but neonatal benefit outside of the NICU also goes along with reductions in readmissions. Um, and then Vermont Oxford kind of, we have all kind of looked at um, in target goals of having improved breastfeeding rates at discharge and skin to skin care for this extreme preterm population has been shown to have exclusive um, breastfeeding um, increase um, at time of discharge. Is there any literature, I mean, anecdotally, I would think it would do something to increase breast milk supply during mm -hmm. the NICU. Is there any evidence to support that, Helen? 
So that was actually one of the aims that we were hoping to do with our um, skin to skin care quality improvement project is to, to look at maternal breast milk utilization with earlier um, frequency of skin to skin. And so we did see that we had increases on day seven and day 14 um, of breast milk utilization compared to the baseline. However, there was a pretty significant reduction on days 21 and day 30 back to about where baseline had been. Um, and so I actually, after the initial publication, um, I went back and looked at our breast milk utilization rates through discharge. And so one of the things I was really kind of hoping is that those had that had received early skin to skin, as well as a higher frequency of skin to skin had better breastfeeding rates at discharge. There was a slight um, increase, not statistically significant. Um, however, one of the things that we saw when we were looking at that data is that, you know, we had an increase on day seven and day 14 that dropped back on day 21 and 30. But those that were receiving a majority of breast milk on day 30 did have continuation of breast milk um, at time of discharge. So there's really this this time period between day 14 and day 21 that um, if you can get more skin to skin, um, there's a possibility that we could see higher utilization of maternal um, owned breast milk on um, up to day 30. And then if they've established it by day 30, that may be able to translate more into um, exclusive breastfeeding rates at discharge. And, you know, you said that the, your milk supply numbers were higher at day 14, 7 and 14, I believe. I, I think... That's pretty amazing because that's that for those first few weeks. I mean, we want breast milk all the time, but those first few weeks are so crucial for this population to have mother's milk. So that that's a win. That's a win. What about benefits of skin to skin for the term baby? So the term baby is is where a lot of the research within skin to skin has kind of been over the years um and that goes with the thermoregulation um you have a little bit more cardiopulmonary um, stability um, and most of those are referring to um, reductions in respiratory rate and decreased NICU admissions as well as that hypoglycemia so if they're not receiving or getting that cold stress then they're not having as much um, refractory hypoglycemia from some of those um complications following delivery. And so it's unfortunately been a, well, I guess fortunately for the term and late preterm infants, that it's become a standard of care that you essentially put the baby back skin to skin with mom in that immediate delivery period of time. And I, most places ideally try to target that um, somewhere around one to two hours after delivery that they just stay skin to skin if they can, as long as they're medically stable. That has not entirely translated to the preterm population. Um, when I was doing and preparing for this, I was looking through a couple of um, new literature things that they were saying that they were trying to target that 32 to 34 week um, preterm baby and trying to improve their skin to skin immediately following delivery to hopefully bring some of those benefits that we see in that term baby down to that preterm baby in that initial stabilization period. Um, but that obviously takes a very detailed um, protocol as well as a lot of trained staff to be able to support that baby while that baby's laying skin to skin um, right after admission. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I think some of that goes with one of our current projects, optimal cord clamping. Now we're, we're trying to advocate for clamp the clamping of the cord to be delayed for at least 60 seconds 
And during that period of time, that's the perfect time to put that baby skin to skin with mom if the baby, as you said, is phys- is physiologically stable. So they kind of go hand in hand in many ways, don't they? It does. And when you think about it, you know, we so frequently as a, a medical provider want to have control of being able to see the patient and assess the patient. And we just kind of have to shift our mindset a little bit to include the parent in that dyad that, you know, we can do a lot of things on mom's abdomen um, that we don't have to remove her, remove the baby from the mom. So we can, you know, allow the extended delayed cord clamping. We can begin the skin to skin initiation. Um, And, you know, there are some places that are even putting CPAP on babies that are the preterm, that 32, 34 week baby that might need just a little bit of extra support. They can do the bedside um, CPAP while that baby still stays skin to skin. And I think that's a pretty revolutionary idea that we as a medical provider just have to kind of shift our mentality to start working with the mom instead of removing the baby from the mom. Something you said earlier um, about benefits for mom, and you didn't use this word, but I'm going to use this word, control. (laughs) It does give the parents back some control, some ownership of their baby, because I do believe with my experience and certainly with your experience, that is something that parents report about their baby being in the NICU. They, they grieve the loss of those parental decisions. When will I change my baby's diaper? When will I put my baby to breast? When will I just cuddle my baby? We lose a lot of that when the baby comes to the NICU. So do you think skin skin gives them back some of that, that autonomy, that control, that parent like behavior, decision-making? I fully think that it can. And I think that's an area that when we have our patient in the NICU, I think we sometimes forget that we're actually managing two patients. We have the family unit um, as well as the patient. So when we talk about family-centered care, we really have to include mom's mental well-being as well. Um, But I do think one of the things that has was very evident for us is that there are a lot of barriers to being able to implement consistent skin-to-skin um, care for any patient in the NICU, but especially for those that are um, extremely preterm. Nursing comfort level is probably the biggest one. Um, they, Within the literature, they use the term, the design and the routines within the NICU dictate parent interaction. And I know I have seen that at the bedside, a nurse go, it's not care time. We can't touch the baby just yet. And I think we forget that, yes, it may not be time to do hands-on care, but there are positive benefits to touch, that not every touch is a bad touch for a patient. And telling a mom that she can't touch her baby, I do think plays a role in that psyche of that escalation of postpartum depression or not feeling like a parent. you know, and, and we can easily try to advocate for our patients, but can sometimes be received in a negative format that there needs to be a little bit of a balance um, there. We don't know the story behind the mom. Why can she visit at 12 o'clock instead of two o'clock? Well, maybe that's the only time of the day that she can get there. And if we're not letting her engage with her baby at all, then we have the the ability to, to miss that opportune window for her to create some bonding experiences. I agree with you. And I think, in at least in my experience, um, the nurses are reluctant because they're scared that they'll cause harm to the baby. It, it's 
all about that. It's not about trying to prevent mom and baby from touching. It's it's about their fear and their sense of responsibility to make sure that ET tube, that endotracheal tube doesn't come out, you know? So I think, and that's what I think is so wonderful about this article that you published recently on this topic. And you included a technique for moving this NICU baby that has all the lines and the tubes from the NICU bed to mom and dad's arms. That's what I think is so fabulous about this because it takes into consideration that the nurses want to do this. They just need a way to do it safely. Yes. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? I'll be happy to. Let me kind of lay the the foundation. So when we surveyed the nurses, there were several barriers that came out of um, their survey. One was um, the ability to carry out successful skin to skin and just comfort level in general. Um, but as well as the skill to be able to transfer the baby, not everybody has the opportunity to learn how to to transition them nicely. Um, but also we found that the nurses' perceptions of stability um, were a pretty large misconception of the infant stability from the medical provider side. And so um, those were two things that we did ad- address. Um, we implemented a different structured educational um, protocol, um, changed some of our um, contraindications to skin to skin, um, so that any mechanically ventilated baby that met certain criteria, um, or a patient that had a pick line or a UVC was allowed to still receive skin to skin. Um, we did have the contraindications of if they were within a healthy brain protocol, um, you know, that they, they were kind of exempt from being able to, to skin to skin during that time, um, or if they had like a chest tube or a UAC. Um, And so one of the ways that we kind of address this with our nursing staff is we went through a simulation of the different transfer techniques. So as a bedside nurse, we all know about the getting the patient out of the NICU isolate and basically having mom sit sit in a chair or what we are terming the um, seated transition you know, you, you get the lines and everything in order. You may have a respiratory therapist if you have an intubated or um, respiratory support infant. And then you're kind of like flying them through the air um, and then repositioning them in mom's, um, on mom's chest. And I don't know about you, but the flying, like kind of moving them and it's kind of an awkward transition. I've done it. I've watched it. It is incredibly awkward. Um, And so in going through all of this in the literature review, we found that there's also something called a um, standing transition. Obviously, we included both in our um, protocol because not every mom can stand at the bedside and safely pick up their patient. Um, It just depends on kind of the medical process that mom is going through. If she's immediately postpartum from a C-section, she may not be able to stand well enough um, to be able to do this. So we did include both and we did simulate both of them with the nursing staff, as well as any respiratory therapist that joined our simulations um, transfers. But the technique that I have grown to love um, that I call a standing transition, um, some of the literature calls it either a parent or a single um, person transition, um, where you actually take the baby in in the isolate and turn them at a Um, 90 degree or perpendicular to the parent um, in the side of the bed. So you have the respiratory equipment coming off of one side. You have the IV equipment coming off on the other. And mom's chest is, or dad's chest is completely available um, and ready. So the parent is involved in this process where they lean over and they pick up their baby um, from the, the bed, but they're right there over 
the patient and then they just put them gently on their chest as is and then they stand up and sit down and so there's a lot less movement and adjusting of lines and respiratory equipment as well as just that patient has a very limited um non-containment spot so like when you're putting them from the seated transition they're kind of non-contained as you're transferring them from the bed to the parent in this they have a little bit more containment um, and the parent has their hands on them so that the nurse or the respiratory therapist can be available for the security of the lines and the respiratory equipment. Makes perfect mm -hmm. sense. You, you cover clinically several NICUs mm -hmm. in this area. How has this technique been received? Um, well, I would love to say it's been widely adopted, but there has definitely been <laughs> pieces and parts. Every nurse that I trained, the post-intervention, um, survey showed that they had a lot more comfort level with moving um, those that were intubated or had an umbilical line. Every single one of them gave me a, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense after they actually did it. Cause I actually made the nurse do the simulation as if they were the parent. Um, and so that they kind of got to see both ways, um, the receiving of a patient in a seated transition and then the standing transition. And every single one of them um, greatly appreciated the standing transition. Those that have I've been able to follow up with um, has still use it to this day. The one great thing about it is that you're involving the parent in getting their patient out of the bed. And you know we all know that our nurse, our nurseries right now are incredibly short staffed. And so being able to engage a parent who's wanting to hold their their kid as an additional set of hands, it helps the nurse not have to find so many additional resources to get their, that baby up out of the bed. Um, there has been some continued resistance, especially with those that are um, newer to the nursing career. Um, and so I feel like we're gonna have to keep doing some form of simulation education with them to show them the techniques of being able to get these babies out for some continued compliance in that. Um, and it, right after I did the study that was published, um, our unit changed their healthy brain protocol from 72 hours of midline, um, no abdominal palpation, those kind of things, um, to up to 14 days, depending on their gestational age. And so that kind of has been um, a barrier on the educational side and provider side, and I'm really fortunate to say that we've all come back to the table to review the literature um, that has shown no increase in IVH complications or um, unplanned extubations. Those are still coming through in the literature saying that, that hey, this is not a concern that we need to take into play. Um, now, there's some things that we probably need to do different, like get some additional equipment um, at the bedside, but I'm happy to report that at least the providers are coming back to the table and evaluating this and saying, no, I don't think skin to skin needs to be off the table during this period of time. Well, as you know, change in our NICU culture takes time because we're also cognizant of trying to do the best for the baby. With that said, I think that we will see more and more of this as people learn more and more that is, this is best for the baby. So this is a great topic, and Dr. Nation will be speaking at the annual TIPQC meeting. We look forward to hearing more tips and tricks to support our moms and dads in this wonderful time-honored technique of skin-to-skin. Skin. Uh, this is a live meeting 
on March 27th and 28th. So please be sure and register at www.tipqc.org. Helen, do you have any final thoughts for our audience today? No, not really. Um, do what you can in encouraging the maternal infant dyad and just trying to promote skin to skin in your own units if you have it. Um, but no, I'll look forward to seeing y'all at the um, annual meeting in March. Well, we thank you again for your time today and for everything you're doing to care for babies and families in Middle Tennessee. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.